Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders who have all been nice enough to give up some of their time to talk about their personal and professional growth. This week, I'm joined by Christina D'Arcangelo, the CEO of Affinity Bio. Uh, Christina, when you and I first spoke, um, I was just absolutely blown away by some of the things that you, you told me. Um, your honesty was amazing. Uh, but look, for, for those of our audience who have never heard of you or come across you at all, look, give us a, a bit of an introduction as to, to who you are uh, and, and what you, you guys are doing over at Affinity Bio. Sure. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on your show today. I greatly appreciate it. Um, so yes, I am the CEO of Affinity Biopartners. This is my second CRO that I have started since I went out on my own in 2010. Most of my career globally, I've spent in uh, biotech, pharmaceutical, and device drug development on the sponsor side. In 2010, mm -hmm. I launched my first CRO, Armonia Clinical Research, and then um, had a little bit of issues with people associating Armonia, even though in Italian it means harmony, uh -huh. with ammonia. Ammonia. Right. People kept thinking it was ammonia. I don't know why. And so when you're doing clinical research, you really don't want to be recognized as a, a pungent cleaner, house cleaner. <laughs> so, so we tried to rebrand and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so in 14, I decided that I would just launch another CRO. I kept Armonia open. It's still open in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. But I launched Affinity Bio in 14. And mm -hmm. we added more service offerings related to governance and some of the other things that we do, um, like due diligence for investors. If investors are looking to invest in a company, I have no skin in the game. I have no emotions, right? So if somebody contacts me and says, hey, I want you to sit on my due diligence team and help me ascertain whether or not I should invest in this product or NAB or whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. I can go in there and do it. Plus I can flush the budgets, right? Because I sat in outsourcing for so long mm -hmm. before I you know, owned my own CRO, I know where the money's spent, right? And I know if it's going into their pockets or if mm -hmm. it's really going to patient care and developing their drugs. So that was why we started Affinity Bio Partners back in 14. Uh-huh. Fantastic. And look, I guess I've, I've had a lot of people on the show and I even ran a poll uh, the other week via LinkedIn just because I'm always interested to know how people even came across the world of, of clinical research. I mean, at the moment, it's everyday news, right? Um, right. But, you know, when a lot of the, the, the guests that I have had on the show first got into it, it certainly wasn't. I hadn't necessarily come across it a, a, at all. Um, so, look, what's, what's your background? How did you, you get into this space? It's so weird because if you look <clears throat> at my LinkedIn, you'll notice my degrees are in business, paralegal, organizational management. It's not in science. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it, you know, I just kind of fell into it. So I was a, when I first got out of school, I was a bankruptcy litigation paralegal mm -hmm. when I, I, I received my first degree. And I know that might sound weird. Why would I be a bankruptcy litigation paralegal? But it was because my dad had gone through with his steel mill that he worked for. He was president of the Steelworkers Union mm -hmm. and then was an employee of the steelworker company called Phoenix Steel. Uh -huh. And so they went through like three bankruptcies when I was a kid, chapter 11 filings. Mm -hmm. So my dad used to bring me to the meetings when I was a little girl to right. listen about chapter 11 bankruptcy. <laughs> so 
I had an opportunity to seize, uh, uh, you know, to seize a job working at, uh, representing banks mm -hmm. for fraudulent mm -hmm. filings, people working, you know, t actually charging up credit cards preemptively and then purposely and willfully filing for bankruptcy. So I would go after those people, reviewing their account statements, looking for triggers, mm -hmm. and then we'd file mm -hmm. a complaint. So that's what I started doing when I first, you know, got out of college. And then I happened to work for a firm that was one of the largest firms in Pennsylvania. And they had a satellite office in mm. Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. And downstairs, there was a clinical research organization. One of our admins went downstairs to, she ended up taking a job to work for a CEO down there and asked me if I wanted to come work for them because they had a contract position opened in the finance group. And she knew that I understand contracts and things like that because I was a certified paralegal. And I was doing M&A work. So, you know, it's all contract based. So I said, well, I'll interview and see, you know, but well, I don't know what a CRO is. And I was really young when I, <laughs> like really young, early 20s. Um, and so they interviewed me um, and th they took a chance on me and they hired me. Subsequently, since then, years later, my old boss found me on Facebook and needed help from an advocacy standpoint. So I ended up helping him with my nonprofit, Affinity Patient Advocacy. So mm -hmm. it was kind of surreal, you know, and it came back full circle. But if it wasn't for him seeing something in me at that time, I wouldn't have gotten into the industry. He took a chance on me. And luckily, I made him proud over the years, you know, um, but he took a chance on me. Wow. So the industry could have almost missed out on a character like yourself if it wasn't for those those events back then. Right. And, and you know, it was kind of scary a little bit for for me because I didn't understand really the ins and outs. And, you know, the CRO was working for back and now this is dating me, um, Park Davis. Mm -hmm. which ended up becoming now Pfizer. I was working on Lipitor. I also worked on the little blue pill. And so it was kind of interesting. Like I came in with the big boys, you know, yeah. when I first started. And then after I worked there for a couple of years, they were having some financial issues and they had some layoffs and things. And I got nervous because I didn't want to be laid off. And I sat in the finance department, so I kind of could see stuff, you know. Um, I decided to proactively rather than reactively start looking for a job. Mm -hmm. And so then I ended up getting a job at J&J &J working mm -hmm. on Remicade for Centicor. So I was a J&J &J hire, not to Centicor transplant that went into J&J. &J. There's yep. a big difference in how they hired back then. Mm -hmm. Centicor versus J&J, &J, you had to be the upper echelon to be hired by J&J. &J. It wasn't like the way, no offense, the way Centicor was back in the day. Uh-huh. Okay. And look, I guess in terms of that trajectory, it sounds like it was quite a, a steep learning curve, a steep, you know, upward rise for yourself. Uh, yes. And probably quite a lot of success along the way. How you, you, you mentioned, you know, yourself that you admitted were quite young when you got into this. How were you dealing with that emotionally? Because um, I guess it's tough, isn't it? You know, and I think... When, when you first get into business, you know, there's imposter syndrome, there's, you don't know what's going on. There's a lot mm -hmm. of talk about fake it till you make it, but at some mm -hmm. point you, you have to produce, clearly mm -hmm. you were producing. So how were you dealing with this all mentally, Christina? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me this question. In all the years that I've been interviewed, nobody has. So that's great that you asked that question. Because, um, yeah, I was young. I mean, like I said, I, what the hell did I know? You know, mm. sorry for the cursing, but I, I, I didn't know. And so I, what I've done successfully in my career is I've always identified amazing mentors. Mm -hmm. So even now, you know, as accomplished as I am, I'm not a moron. I know I still need mentors. Mm -hmm. And I just picked up a new mentor um, in June, actually a couple um, wow. in June when I was on the TV show, um, How to Save the World in Four Days. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, so I was with some powerhouse people and their skills that they have that I don't have. So I started off just trying to identify who was smart, you know, mm -hmm. and then trying to learn from them. But I talked with my dad a lot, you know, because he was used to going against the grid often mm -hmm. with what he did, you know, negotiating for people's rights as a labor standpoint and making sure they're taken care of from a healthcare and pension you know, they're not abused, et cetera. And so I could talk to him about my struggles because he didn't have to understand pharma or biotech to guide me where I needed to go because he had the principles to be able to share that with me. So I used my dad a lot. And then it, it's funny because years later, when he got sick the last time and he came out of remission before he died in mm -hmm. 15, he told me, how much he had learned from me over the years. Wow. He learned from me. Wow. Yes. And like how hard <laughs> I worked, like he saw how hard I worked and continue, you know, you know, I was continuing to work hard, but he used to tell my nephew at the time who was like 10 years old, my brother's oldest son, that aunt Chrissy has to work harder and stronger than any other man because she holds a male job. And so that was the thing too. So not only was I learning things new and trying to, and I was young and I, I didn't know a lot, but typically males were in, are in finance, right? Mm -hmm. um, in outsourcing, your heads of outsourcing are typically male. They're not usually women. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, had a, I had a huge guiding force in my dad and, you know, I've, I'm ever so thankful for him because that's, he was one of my champions. Wow. It sounds like he was a bit of an inspiration to you. And then the roles almost reversed, even though you didn't necessarily notice it at the time and you were an inspiration to him. Yes, which was like so amazing. And like even Saturday, this past Saturday, I had gone and gotten some um, um, body therapy done. I have two autoimmune diseases. So I, I work really hard on trying to keep myself straight from eating to exercise, to therapy, to body therapy, you know, massage, craniosacral, Reiki, energy. Like, I believe I'm a big, you know, supporter of that. I used to own a wellness spa back in 13. Mm -hmm. And so one of my uh, therapists that used to work with me at my old spa, she still helps me. And she did a session for my son and then myself. And she was talking about my dad, about how when she used to come into the spa, she would interact with him at times. Because when he retired from the turnpike, he used to come down to my spa and hang out. He loved to be around people. And he didn't want to retire. He retired at 60 and he didn't want to retire then because he still felt like he had, you know, he's still in the game. Yeah. Um, so he came down to work with me. So it was kind of cool Amazing. to be able to reflect on him again, just on Saturday. Fantastic. And look, just to, to rewind a, a moment ago there, look, you mentioned um, sort of the TV show uh, that you 
have been involved in how to save the world in in four days i think <laughs> when, when you and i first connected i'd come across you online uh thought you know this is an in interesting character i need to reach out to, to christina and, and find out what her story is um when we jumped on the call i think you had had one hell of a week uh you'd been filming in miami and yes. you're on this show share with us i guess I don't know whether I want to take you back to that week, whether yeah. you want to revisit that week or, or not. But look, if if you would be so kind, talk yes. to us about that that week because it sounded like that in itself is just we could probably do a show just on that. Yes, it was the most okay. I've never been on TV before either. Yeah. I've been, you know, I've had plenty of interviews and such, but I've never been on a reality TV show, mm. you know. And so first, you had to kind of learn. There are eyes everywhere, eyes in the sky, right? Cameras mm -hmm. everywhere. So you have to, you don't want to be perceived on TV to be a certain way than you really are. So what I mean by that is I make faces. Like I'm sure you guys, you know, when they view this, they're going to see I make faces. <laughs> um, and, and it's because my mind is going like 150 miles an hour and I'm thinking about stuff. And so sometimes I'm serious when I'm thinking because I'm mm -hmm. thinking about and I had four days to build a business model with a team of people that I didn't know until Monday morning when I showed up on set at eight o'clock in the morning. Wow. We all met. We all kind of came together at like 11 o'clock. So 11 o'clock was when the trigger starts. Mm -hmm. And my team was very dynamic. There were many different personalities and different um, pedigrees. I was the only person like me in the group mm -hmm. so what i mean by that, that ceo kind of high level exec no mm -mm, no yeah. we were all we all had to be entrepreneurs uh-huh doing the human to human interaction and we had to be at a c level you know to be picked to be on the show mm -hmm. because you were going to work with the younger generation they didn't tell you this when they picked you <laughs> that you were going to also be working on the younger with the younger generation to teach them things mm -hmm. because they're they're what's coming next, right? My son, your children, they're coming up now. So mm -hmm. it's our job to raise them and teach them a certain way so they're effective for when we retire, right? Because there's going to be a time when we stop working and you have to have the right people in and charge, you know, to do these things. Mm -hmm. So my group had um, two MDs, one MD, MBA, one um, XUS physician, that came over here and became a United States citizen, um, still MD in academia, but one of the, she's a forms woman and mm -hmm. she is one of the most spectacular people I've ever met in my life. She works with amazing investors and she works in AI, she works in healthcare, she teaches, I mean, she's just amazing. And oh, then we had cool. a bench scientist who also had created technology to help kids with autism be in a safe space so they could communicate with one another because it's very hard with kids with autism to be able to connect with one another, right? Because they are viewed as different, right? Mm -hmm. And to not feel like they're being scrutinized is really important with autistic kids. So she was on our team. We had um, a JD engineer, mm -hmm. patent mm -hmm. attorney. So he wasn't just an ex-choir. He was That's a patent serious. attorney. Serious talent in that room by the sound of things. Yes. So there was all these amazing people. And then a couple of them brought their children that were like 20 and above or mm -hmm. 17 and above. And then 
we ended up getting a kid on our team that just graduated high school and she was an ace in the card. So on Monday, we start working. Our topic was pandemic. We had to solve a model, a business model to prevent the pandemic from happening again, regardless of what kind of pandemic, whether it's COVID or something else, right? Because mm -hmm. we've had other pandemics besides COVID, swine flu, et cetera. So we came up with a, a, a bit, I can't say what it is because of the confidentiality factor. Yeah. And I can't say whether or not I won or lose because of the mm -hmm. confidentiality factor. But um, we came up with a viable business model that would be an FDA backed business model. So right off of my back, you know, so to speak, I know how to do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. and. We started working on this and then they brought a kid in that graduated from high school who had to pitch to the investors in two minutes in a camera to get them to believe in our business model in two minutes. And then we had to do the slide deck, right? Which is normal, an investor deck. Mm -hmm. So my job was to work, one of my jobs was to work with her, her name is Nina, to get her ready. I don't know why I got chosen to do it. I don't know if it's because she and I, I mean, she got along with everybody, but I had this like connection with her. I don't, I don't know if it's because, you know, she grew up, she wasn't wealthy growing up. You know, her parents worked very hard working class like mine. I don't know what it was, but at one point when we were sitting here working together and I was getting her prepped for her video. So we're under a time, you know, it's like, we are running, boom, boom, boom. Cameras are everywhere here or there, we're getting on sprinters, going here, shooting here, doing that, hair and makeup constantly, people everywhere. Then you're interviewing, go off site to go interview. They're still working. So now you have to catch up to what they did while you were getting interviewed. It, food wasn't always you know, there. So you were kind of hungry and thirsty. So we were sitting there talking and get, trying to get her ready, not make her nervous. Mm -hmm. And she says to me, we are the same. And I go, what did you say? And she goes, oh, was I not just supposed to say that to you? Because, you know, you're like a big, you got all these companies, like you're a powerful lady and, you know, yeah. your top whatever entrepreneur. I go, no, no. What was it that you said again? She goes, we are the same. I said, mm -hmm. bingo. And she goes, what, what, what do you mean? I go, that's why I launched my brand. One of the reasons was to show people that just because I've done all these things in my career, we are the same. Mm -hmm. And I closed my podcast with, we are the same. Remember, we are the same. I am Christina D'Arcangelo. So here, this kid who only worked with me a couple of days felt comfortable enough to say, yes, we are the same. That, it was amazing. And I know I was there to solve a business model and we did it. You know, we, we did a great job. Um, but it was amazing to see that here we had this moment. It was amazing. And mm, I bet many you, of must have, you must have just been thinking, where did this come from? You, you know, if you've been running your own podcast and, and running all these businesses that someone approaches you with your own catchphrase. Yes. <laughs> and I, I hadn't launched my, and here's the crazy thing. I had not officially launched my podcast yet. I had shot four, oh, four of them before I went to Miami. So you can imagine I was trying to crush it with work. Then I'm shooting four podcasts, trying to mm -hmm. get going pack. I hadn't flown in 16 months. I was leaving my son home. I was nervous about that. It was four days, you know, five days, whatever. And then I have autoimmunes. I'm going to Florida where they don't think they have COVID. No offense to the Floridians, but they don't. And so my anxiety was really high, you know, and I had to kind of push it. Because when I was there, 
I needed to freaking perform. I was here to perform. I wasn't here to be a wuss. I was here to put everything aside, whatever anxiety, whatever I was feeling with my autos. And I was sick. I ended up getting sick on set. I was swollen by the end of the day. I was a mess. I had to be in my room by 10 o'clock every night so I could take my nighttime meds and relax a little bit because we were back on set by eight o'clock in the morning every day. And then I ended up leaving before I knew who won. I flew out. I took an earlier flight on Thursday because I felt terrible. And my son had something happen at school. And I could tell he was kind of having a, a little bit of a, it was having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to be back. So I flew home. And when I got home, it was like 1230 on Friday morning. Now I get the first thing I get is text messages telling me what's up, what's going on with the show and stuff. Mm. And I, I left. I never, ever, James, have ever done this in my entire career. Wow. I normally stay. But I had to come home because my self-care and my love for myself and my son takes precedence over anything. I'm a, I can't be a, a full on top of my game executive if I can't take care of myself. And I'm a patient advocate. So if I don't take care of myself, how can I practice what I preach yeah. or preach what I practice? And I think that this is this is one of the big areas that I guess look, we, we touched on when you and I first connected is that you are yeah kind of a serial entrepreneur, serial, you know, overachiever in many things. Um, but there's clearly a massive connection that you've got with both your father and with your son. Um, you know, and, and I remember just thinking, where where has this come from? Um, so I know that you were very open with me when when we spoke that, you know, with with our audience you know where where has this this come from you know this mindset of positivity of you know we are all the same and to be able to yeah kind of set aside christina the the ceo the exec to actually i'm also a mum, you know etc i'm also a daughter this you know this human side of things because um where where has that come from well you know what that's that's a really good question too because um my childhood wasn't, you know, roses and unicorns and bubble gum. Mm. <laughs> you know, I talk very fondly of my father, but you know, there was, there were times there was, um, there was domestic violence in my home growing up as a kid, um, that I had seen my mom, um, unfortunately was a domestic abuser, uh, more so to me and my, my father, my father also, would scream and yell at her back. Mm. So he wasn't, you know, innocent, let me tell you. Um, He ended up getting therapy when I was in my 20s to kind of deal with his anger management issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I I grew up. And with my mom always telling me that I wasn't wanted, I I always think I'm better than people. I wasn't going to amount to anything. I was stupid. Uh, my clothes never fit properly because she was in charge of that and she just was ineffective um, and I wasn't the one she wanted and so That's just, yeah it's, it's terrible. It, was t- it was tough however I had her mother so today ironically I'm wearing this necklace mm. that it has like a little hand-painted yellow rose on it and so I normally don't wear this this is my mom's. I'm named after her mother. So her mother, my nanny, was Christina. Uh huh. And so my parents, my mom specifically wanted to name me after her. So I, I was very fortunate to get my nanny's name. 
I was very close to my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom died when I moved to North Carolina. So my mid twenties. So I've lived a long time without her. Wow. And Tuesday I had, um, unfortunately a domestic disturbance in my home Mm -hmm. by, um, it was influenced by my ex-husband. Um, and I had to call 911 and deal with all this stuff and I'm fine. And Chris is fine. You know, we just had a stalker. Um, and Chris, and Chris so, is son, I, I believe just yes, right? Christian's my son. Yes. Yeah. He's named after me now. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> um, so we, we dealt with it with the authorities and the authorities are well aware of what's happened. You know, what's happened has been happening in my home. So they come swiftly. Thank God. Mm. And I called to her that night when I was in the shower and I said, mom, I need your help. You know, I feel I miss you. I, you know, she was a guiding force to me more gentle than my dad was, you know, and, and I look to both of them, you know, a lot of times to help me. And so I went and I had Reiki, uh, a Reiki facial on Thursday, never Mm -hmm. had a Reiki facial ever. And it was an amazing experience. And I knew people had, were coming into the room, but I had my eyes closed and I can't see people. I just sense, I can feel it. And she had come to me and put a rose, my Reiki master said, on me that was like, she said like um, cotton candy colors, but it's unicorn colors. She was telling me I'm a unicorn, but the rose was to remember who I was. And then I still have her with me Mm -hmm. with this necklace. So I've been wearing this necklace since Friday. I found it Thursday night because I put it away. I was in my in my area where I have my jewelry and I was I found this. I found my original gold horn she gave me because we're Italian and another necklace that's of the of Mary in a heart, a gold heart. And it was to remind me of who I still am and where I came from and that I'm strong and that I can continue. And so it was like, wow. You know, like I needed her and she was there for me. And I don't know if everybody will believe this, but it's true. This is what I believe in. I'm, you know, I can't make this stuff up. Just amazing where that strength comes from, really. And I think this is probably the thing I was surprised by most when I reached out to you and you and I first spoke, because, I, you know, on one hand, I'm thinking, you know, serious, you know, business professional, very well, you know, doing well at everything that you, you seem to, to lay your hands on. Um, but then there was this, I guess, you know, abuse growing up um, mm-hmm. and the fact that not that you managed to come out, I guess, smelling of roses, uh, so to speak, <laughs> uh, you know, at this end, but the fact that you were so open in sharing it. Um, do you do you find that other people were surprised by that? Because I'm, I'm sure there must be. Well, to be honest with you, I haven't told very many people. So this Saturday, I have my launch party, mm-hmm. the I am Christina D'Arcangelo Freedom Party. It's a year for my um, anniversary of my brand. It was July, mm-hmm. late July last year when I kicked it off. And I was not in a good place when I kicked this off. I finally got my divorce finalized by like the, I don't even know, skin of my teeth because mm-hmm. I got stuck in COVID. I was still dealing with, still dealing with all the domestic stuff there with him, my ex-husband. And I just decided I had had enough of being mm-hmm. quiet. I have accomplished what you've said, like lots of different things. I'm a force to be reckoned with. I've made a name for myself. I have 25 FDA drugs I've worked on in my career globally. I've worked all over the world. I've been in medical cannabis and CBD worldwide for the last five years. I've done some amazing stuff and 
just pulled a hat trick out on something that I can't talk about right now, but it's going to be very it's, huge. Yeah, I, mean, I was kind of like, holy, I mean, sorry, to go, <laughs> holy shit, you know, this woman has done so much, but with that background and the fact that then what I was probably just as impressed about is the fact that you were happy to share it. So, yeah, well, it took me a long time to be able to do that because as a corporate woman, mm. you don't do that. That's how, you know, that's kind of how I felt. Like I had to conform to the way I was supposed to be Amazing. based on what society, society wanted of me. Mm. And, and professionals, I've always been younger than everybody. And I'm a woman. So, and I, I'm poor. I didn't go Ivy. Like I went to Eastern University, which is, you know, the last university I went to, which is a private university right under Penn, mm. you know, but I didn't go Ivy. And so, you know, like I, I didn't feel comfortable sharing myself with people. I would talk about my dad. Sure. You know, everybody calls me DRK in the industry and that's my dad's nickname. So everybody knew about my dad and my dad used to come and speak to clinical ops departments about the art of listening. So everybody knew my dad and stuff and hmm. where I came from that piece, I let them see because that was okay. Yeah. But this, this wasn't okay. And then when I launched my personal brand, I was like, well, it is okay. It is okay to talk about this because this is under the guidance of my brand. It's not under Affinity Bio. It's not under APA. It's not under Spectral. It's not under any of the other companies. It's under my company, my brand, my name. And I can be me because for years, Absolutely. I wasn't me. Absolutely. I wasn't me. You know, it's just so good to see that you're, you're speaking up about this. Um, and I think so many people listening in will just be taking so much inspiration from this. I've, I've had various people on the show that have kind of, we've gone down similar routes and they've said, look, James, I don't really want to get into that because I've got my professional image to, to look at. But, you know, you're kind of putting the middle of the finger up to, to, to the, 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 the industry norms, right? And just being like, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I did it when I got it. I did it when I got into cannabis, right, James? Mm. That wasn't That wasn't sexy. You know, for me to get into cannabis, people thought I was some pot smoking, <laughs> bong toting wackadoo then. And I was like, what? No, there's medicinal properties. I'm all for it from a medical standpoint. I'm not for it for a recreational. I cannot stand with you on recreational, but I will stand with you on medical. And so when I got into that, I got a lot of slack. I took a, I took a lot of heat from people, even in my own family and inner circle. Even my best friend was like, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing? Are you losing it? No, I'm not losing it. I see something here and I'm going to pursue it. And I don't give a shit if mm. you don't like it. I don't care. And so I just went in. Even my ex-husband criticized me because I took a pay cut. And all he was, was about the bread, mm. was about the money I, I produced because I was the person who paid for everything in our household, not him. And so he was willing to take it but not do anything to give in return. And so I just did what I wanted. So I had already kind of tipped that off with the cannabis side. For me, it was just, I had to be brave mm -hmm. that I could stand in my own two feet and say, you know what? I don't care what people say about me. I don't care if my mother hears this. And eventually when this comes out and my ex-husband hears it, I don't care because people need to understand that that facade that they portray isn't reality. This is reality. Absolutely, 100%. And I, I think that for me, I'm just so impressed that you've been so open about it. I almost, you know, some of the things when you first spoke to me, 
I just could not believe the level of authenticity that I, that I was getting from you. And it was just, it was just refreshing, um, you know, because particularly for you guys in the States, there's lawsuits and, you know, non-disclosure agreements absolutely right. everywhere. You know, it's not as bad for us guys over here in the UK. People speak their mind, you know, probably more often than what they perhaps should. <laughs> um, but it was just refreshing to, to get that from you. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, and I think that so many people tuning in will be kind of just sitting there or listening there and just putting their hands up, just saying, absolutely, fair play. So glad that you've been on the show because, you know, I now may have the strength to, to do something similar. So, um well, on, on that front, um, and I guess back to kind of the, the, the business world, um, Affinity, you know, how, how have you got on as a business throughout the pandemic? Has there been continued success? Oh. What are the business, uh, biggest challenges that you faced on, on that side of things? Well, I was blessed and cursed at the same time mm -hmm. to be asked to work on COVID. So I was working on two treatment protocols for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, one of which is still running. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked with the FDA. I, one of the treatments, I ended up working with the White House, wow. uh, which was kind of amazing in my career because I've never worked with the White House before. I've worked with the FDA my whole life, but, mm -hmm. you know, not the FDA or not the White House. So that was like kind of odd. Oh, look, for someone who I, I just do not understand working with the White House, talk to me about that. And perhaps there's some of our audience out there as well who are oh, ignorant as me. What does that, this, what does that mean? It's crazy. So if you recall, press came out in like May or June of last year that said the FDA was hacked by external governments. Mm -hmm. Iranian, I think uh, Russians, Chinese, right? I had done a, a PIND filing, which is a pre-investigator new drug application mm -hmm. in the FDA. Now, yeah. James, normally my regulatory consultants do that. I don't normally do the filings, okay? Because I'm not a regulatory person. I understand mm -hmm. regs. I live and breathe the regs, but I'm not a reg person. So my clients were like, listen, we're in a pandemic. We're, this is a crisis. Can you just do this? And I was like, okay. Because it's like, you know, submitting to an IRB, right, in your a local ethics committee over mm -hmm. in the UK, you know, so it's like, okay, I, I, okay. So I go and do this. The first one I submit is a treatment. And you have to type that in when you enter the data. Like, is it COVID-19? Is it treatment? Is it palliative? You have to give them this information. Yeah. Well, evidently, one of these governments had a bot. And so when my submission went in, it said treatment, they picked up that I filed a treatment and they put a Trojan on top of my filing. Right. So my clients at the time, so the FDA couldn't see my filing, but I could, they couldn't even find it. I was on the help desk support with 11 FDAers, trying tech people trying to find it. And they could see my email because I sent it to them saying, this is what your system sent to me with my number, 142996. Mm. I, I, I don't know why you can't find it. So then that's when my client at the time happens to work with ex-military ops in the United States. Mm -hmm. They were working with one of the subcontracted IT firms that work with the White House. So they went in and they found the Trojan. They took the Trojan and sent the email to the White House saying, you've got a problem. The FDA didn't even know at the time. Wow. You've got a problem. 
Christina D'Arcangelo is working on this, da, 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 and then that's how it all began. So now I'm working with the White House, trying to get the FDA to move on. Then I'm trying to find infective COVID-19 cells because they needed it in vitro, even though we did work in Ebola and HIV and dropped the load, the viral mm -hmm. load, they still wanted all this information to try and find those cells was like trying to find a pink panda bear in New Jersey. You can't find them, mm -hmm. but I was able to procure them and then I did the first batch of testing. It dropped the viral load. We were good. We did a second batch to test the dosing because it's at a higher dose level with these two FDA approved drugs. Well, now my, my data comes back, it doesn't work. So they hacked us in there. So then I had to move, I had to black us out and move to another, I found another one that had the cells. This was all on my birthday last year. My birthday was dreadful, June 30th. <laughs> you could dreadful. not that up, you could not. No! And then remember, James, while this is going on, I'm trying to get a divorce. And my ex-husband stopped taking our son because he was abusing him verbally and mentally. And, and, awesome. and, and then he stopped. So I have the kid full time. We're in a pandemic. He can't go to camp. We can't go anywhere. And I'm being hacked by external forces. You need that positive mindset that you've got because otherwise I just think that would have broken so many people. It's just, it's, it's crazy. Right. You just have to keep getting up. You rise like a phoenix. You don't stay down. You just keep going, keep going, keep going because you can't forget who you are. And that's what I kept saying. Okay, okay, okay. This is very stressful. I had to get myself, but I exercise. So that I exercise seven days a week. I, I bought a, I turned my basement, a little corner of it into a gym. Mm -hmm. During COVID, I have my boxing bag down there. I hit that bag seven days a week. I take, I had my Krav Maga this morning, which is the Israeli attack training that they teach mm -hmm. out their soldiers. I take that here domestically. So if I ever get attacked, I can, you know, subdue anybody that comes after me. Mm -hmm. um, so I do all those things to try to keep myself in a good mental, because it's, it's, you're it's, right. It's, it's easy. It's, it goes hand in hand. I, I think that, I, I mean, I used to do a lot of boxing myself. So I hitting the bag is one thing that, you know, it gets rid of the stress. You make, makes you feel good. Um, and I think that's, yeah, just a, a credit to you to, to keep so active with so much going on around you. Um, fantastic. Um, so and the, the Krav is, is scary, by the way, because she makes me close my eyes, my trainer, and she attacks me. I have to have my eyes closed. So and then she like, it's kind of like Yoda. Are you like a Jedi? I'm, I'm, I'm learning those skills, listening. And I go into my mind mm. when, when she goes out, like today, she was choking me. She scared me a couple of times. I'm not going to lie. She's a big, bad, you know, I, I sound, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here thinking I'm pretty scared. I'm just listening to it. I, will, I do not fancy that. <laughs> no, she, and I'm taller than she is. Mm. So I'm five, 10 and a half. So I'm a pretty tall lady. And so she takes me from behind right here, you mm. know, and she's choking me from behind. So I'm be like, my back is bending back and I had to get out of the chokehold and then strike her. And wow. there's a, there's a way to like, if you turn your head, you can break the plane when somebody's choking you. So if mm. you turn your head like this, it breaks the plane, right? They're not choking you directly on your larynx anymore. Right. And then you can, there's a way that you go like this and you can roll right the, right out <laughs> I like that self-censoring there self-censoring yes. <laughs> remember if you like that this this show is about you as you say it's it's your brand you are you yeah. you can swear it does not matter I'm, not, I'm <laughs> pulling you up on that 
one bit. Look, look, it sounds absolutely um, amazing. I'm certainly interested to keep following your journey, your own podcast when that starts coming out. Uh, ah, yes. It's out now. Well, I have uh, like seven episodes. It's on uh, ChristinaDiArcangelo.com. Uh -huh. That's where you can, you, everybody, that's where I'm telling people to go to follow me. Don't go, because I have so many business pages. It's annoying. Mm -hmm. You'll be like, affinity what? Oh, is this a dentist? Because there is an affinity dentist. No, no. Um, <laughs> and there's there's only one Christina D'Arcangelo, thank God. Um, <laughs> the main so page, just, that's the best way to reach out to you. That's the guys. best page. And then you can see all this stuff and listen to the podcast. All seven of them are up now. Um, and it's, it's, and I, I want to invite you, James, on my podcast as well as we were talking about earlier, because yeah, I want to talk about your journey, you know, and what you did during COVID and how you came out ahead of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there were times it wasn't so fantastic for you over there, you know, and you kept going, you persevered. And that's, what's important for people to hear. Most definitely. Well, look, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Look, before you go, I've got a couple of quick fire questions. Sure. I like to run through with all of my guests, really. Uh, the first one um, is what is the, the, the number one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Be yourself. Like Who cares what people think about you? Just be you. Be true to you. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you you're now massively embracing that aren't you with your freedom mm -hmm. party, your, your, your own personal brand your the, the website mm -hmm. um so good advice i think the next question thank is, you what is it, the number one book or resource that you would perhaps recommend for for our audience doesn't need necessarily need to be pharma related could be anything there's a new book that's out and i don't remember the title so i apologize because i get a little bit of brain fog <laughs> with the, uh, the fibro mm -hmm. and the Hashi, they're both brain fog autos. Um, but the the uh, the um, Arthur, author, geez, because I have a client, his name is Arthur. Author <laughs> is Harvey Castro, MD. Harvey Castro. And Harvey Castro. And I can send you the name of the book afterwards, James. So you could put it in the notes for the show if you'd like. So that way people can, find it but he's an md who's an empathetic md imagine that he teaches people to be positive he's an immigrant he was also domestically abused by his dad his dad kidnapped him when he was a small child it's an amazing story you mm. could see why we parallel with one another and i met him on the show so i haven't known him forever he's one of those people that i am so highly impressed with and i have read his book and it's amazing and it tells people and it has like self-help stuff in there. So you can jot down notes mm -hmm. about what it is that you need to worry about and be concerned. But it's always about trying to find the positive out of a negative situation. So you could see why it's so complimentary. And I you know, like that to be thing. So look, for me, the, these quick fire questions are often, it's just as much, you know, I'm just hacking into advice as well myself, particularly on the reading list uh, front. Yes. So love that. Um, the next question is, what are the top three qualities that you value most when building a team? You've clearly built quite a few. Um, mm -hmm. What are the three go-tos? Loyalty. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Loyalty. You have to be loyal. Not to just, you know, the team, but to yourself, because that's important. Mm -hmm. Integrity and determination. Because with what we do, you have to be able to continue to push that boulder up that hill because it's not an easy game. 
you know, even if you're in traditional pharma doing clinical research, it's even worse on the cannabis side. So, you know, you got to be able to keep going. Don't lose sight of your target. Fantastic stuff. And look, probably my favorite um, question of, of, of these, uh, because I always like to know the person as well as the, the business individual, as it may be. What's your favorite thing outside of work? Oh, I love to go to the beach. I love being Christian. My son and I are both water signs. He's a Pisces, I'm a Cancer. Mm -hmm. So we love to be by water and we traveling. Like he's a good traveler as a little guy. He went to California when he was like three. So that's a long trip for a three-year-old, mm -hmm. but I, I travel a lot for work. And so I'm able to bring him along. Like we're going to Tennessee at the end of the month, we'll be in Cali. Thank God I'm finally going back after three years. I'll take them along with it. So travel and being near water is like my top. <laughs> I, I like the sound that, I mean, I love travel because I love, I'm, I'm a summer type of guy and I love good weather, but unfortunately I live in London. So we don't yep. always get, we doesn't always go hand in hand. So I, you know, no. travel with restrictions being lifted so that I can get away for some sun. Um, and look, final question for you. Uh, what is your number one uh, golden rule for life, for business in general? It's, it's easy, do on to others as others do on to you. I mean, it's the typical golden rule, you know, being a Baha'i, we, you know, we are here to serve, we're a service. That's what's really important in the Baha'i faith is to give all the time. And it doesn't matter, even these horrible abusers that I've been impacted by, mm -hmm. I don't have hate in my heart for them. I have forgiven them. And I realize that they are, they have things that they need to fix about themselves and I don't, I don't, I have no um, duress as it relates to them. Like, I just want them to be well and whatever that is for them, that's for them. So really just do unto others. You know, if you want to be respected properly, then you treat people with respect. Most definitely. And I like that. And I heard some, I can't remember who the quote was from. Um, one time it was about holding grudges and it just, mm -hmm. They, they said that it's about as useful as throwing dust into a strong wind. The only right. thing it impacts is yourself. You That's know, right. You know, how you deal with it is, is everything. So look, Christina, love your positivity. Love Thank hearing you. about your story, story. And I guess, yeah, as I say, your honesty and just open nature. I just can't believe, you know, some of the things that you've been you know, open enough to share with us. So it's very refreshing. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, you've already told us about the best place to reach out to you is your website. So I'll make sure I get that posted. But um, look, once again, thanks for being part of the Huxley Morton podcast. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Great stuff.